Hello, I'm Annette Badland, and you're listening to The Sirens of Audio. Shake your booty. I'm shaking mine. You are now traveling through time and space. G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, the show that explores the universe of Doctor Who and the audio medium. My name's Dwayne. And my name is Philip. G'day Dwayne, g'day audiophiles. Hello Philip, you've got an interesting background there today. I do, I'm sure no one has any idea who's coming on today, so <laughs> for people in YouTube land they might get a clue from the background. They may, they may have also noticed the title, but I assume that they may have worked out too. The, the name may be in the title. Yes, indeed, we are going to be speaking with the lovely Bonnie Langford uh, a little later in the show, uh, because I think when she was in Doctor Who on TV, it was in a similar kind of way. Colin Baker got a bit of a rough deal uh, in terms of Doctor Who and then went on to Big Finish to get uh, sort of almost like a second chance and I think it's the same with Bonnie Langford and the character of Mel in Big Finish too so we're going to have a look at that and have a and see what Bonnie thinks about all that too so that'll be very exciting to to do in just a few minutes time but unfortunately I've been stumped Philip do you know why why because I've just fallen into a rabbit hole let's go All right, Philip, this little rabbit hole that I want to talk about today was prompted by one of our good friends from another podcast. I won't name the podcast, but I saw him tweeting over the last couple of days his his uh, chagrin, shall we say, over some YouTubers calling their shows podcasts when they don't have any audio streams. And I, I weighed in on the, on the topic of that, and it, it did strike me at first that some people I, I don't know how much YouTube you watch Philip but there are some shows out there that call themselves podcasts they don't have an RSS feed like we do so they don't have an audio accessible uh, stream uh, but they call themselves a podcast and I always sort of it, it always struck me that a podcast was something that was that was uh, oral it went into your ears not uh, it wasn't a video so what, did you have any views on that Philip? Well I, I did notice the debate happen and I, I was actually <laughs> thinking through can video only be a podcast? And then I was trying to work out well, what actually is a podcast. Yes. So and so that that, that was in terms of is, has them actually defined ever what a podcast is, and can something actually change shape and form? Um, well, that's what so, I said. I, I thought that the that the original podcast was a term that came from the device and iPod. Yes. So I, I thought it was something that you originally downloaded onto your iPod. And listen to it that way. Is that correct? Yes. Well, I don't know. If, if, if that's the case, then there's no such thing as a podcast anymore. Is there? Do iPods don't exist? Do they? They're gone. We just have them. I think iPhone. people because the iPods are sort of merged with your phone now, so it just yeah. works that way. Yeah. So once yeah. again, it's, it's an old terminology, and technology's moved on. So I actually think there probably is nothing wrong with having video-only podcasts. A podcast, I think, is 
in terms of when I think of podcast, podcast is someone with an interest, um, sharing their interest with like-minded people. And so, so all the podcast shows that are on are all about people who have a passion, interest in some, some topic, and they want to share that passion with other people. And some people, depending how many, choose to listen in and sometimes hopefully interact with what's going on. So if that's what a podcast is, then there's no reason why a video feed can't be a podcast. Yeah, I and it's, uh, even though podcasts are things that you can download, I never download podcasts anymore. I stream them wherever I am. It's always via stream. So that's different as well. Um, and now that Spotify, known as a as a music streaming service, is more of a podcaster, they've recently introduced video podcasts. We do our own video on Spotify too now. So I watched my first one the other day. <laughs> it's I was good, isn't it? It is, because I, I don't usually use Spotify. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm an Apple user and I use the Apple pod podcast. Yeah, yep. um, I don't know but, about all that. But I, I went, oh, look at this and actually played around with it. And it was actually quite a nice picture and I liked the way they framed it all. And it they, they, they do say that Spotify is going to overtake Apple with uh, their podcast this year. They do say that. I don't know if that's the, that's true or, or whatever, whether it's just the top tier podcasts that are that are go- getting much more listens on Spotify. don't know. But anyway, that terminology podcast has kind of led me on to another subject that I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. As I just looked up the dictionary. Dictionary definition does actually say audio, a digital right. audio file made available on the internet for downloading to a computer or mobile device. Right. So, so that's the te- that is the correct definition. Well, it's it's the Oxford Language Dictionary, but once again, but it does it. Uh, but dictionaries it, follows usage, and so that's as, right. As usage changes, yeah, the dictionary has to change. Yeah, there's yeah, well, half the Oxford Dictionary wouldn't yeah you know, is out of date from twenty years ago. That's right. Been updated because we keep language changes, meanings change, and that that is the current Oxford Dictionary definition. Um, and so if I was debating back at school, I'd want to use that definition because if it proved my point, but if I was debating the negative, I'd go, well, actually definitions change. And I'd, I'd say, you know, if, if more and more podcasts go video only, um, it's going to alter. But okay. you're going to go to another point. I am going to another point. It's it's completely unrelated to the term podcast, but related to the fact that definitions and terms change their meaning over time. And a little while ago, we got a rating on a bit of a fringe uh, podcast host. I can't even remember the name of it now. I took a screenshot at the time, but now I've lost the screenshot. I'll have to go and find it, see if I can stick it up uh, on, uh, when, when we actually put this out. But we, we got rated three stars. You always want five stars, don't you? But we got you rated do. three stars. And the comment was that uh, excellent interviews uh, most of the time, uh, but some of their boomer uh, what was the terminology? Some of their boomer content uh, is a little hard to take or something like that. And it got me thinking about the term boomers because I'm my... Not. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But actually, the term has changed because I've it looked has. it up. The, ter- the, the definition of boomers has changed because I always thought that a boomer was my father because my father was born in 1945. That was the end of the war. So 1945 to, say, 1960, they're the baby boomers. And that's where my own personal definition of the term is. So it's people of the generation that came before me. And for me to suddenly be called a boomer, it's like, oh, what does that that mean? Or is this this person so out of touch he doesn't know what a boomer is? But then I thought, well, maybe I'm out of touch. So I went and had a look. 
And a boomer is now a term for someone who is older, which I think you and I do fall into that category, who are- young, young at heart, Dwayne, young at heart. <laughs> everyone's young at heart. Uh, an older person who is unwilling to change their entrenched view or something like that, something along those lines. So got me thinking, oh, really? And it's a derogatory term virtually now. It's so, just an insult. It's just a way of insulting people, playing, playing the man, not the ball. But the, the thing is, the thing is, if a young person is calling uh, someone like a, a younger person is using the term boomer, well, what they don't understand is they haven't got to our age yet. And when, when you do get to this age, you have developed certain views and you are entrenched in certain ways of thinking and worldview, and you've got a lot more experience. Um, I think the younger generation sort of writes off experience as, as, <laughs> as something that's uh, stupid uh, or non-progressive. But the more experience you get in life, the more you realise you don't know anything about anything, really, at the end okay, of the day. Okay, Dwayne, you'll sound like a crappy old man now. Am I? <laughs> Am I really? When you start talking about the younger generation, because can I, I mean, one of the things about me, one of the things that's fascinating looking at our figures is the fact that actually um, we cover the whole age gamut really carefully in terms of we've got lots of young, you know, lots of younger people listen to us. Thanks, guys. We love you having, having you around. Um, and we actually are well distributed across all age spans. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that younger people don't get that. I, I do think that with a bit of age comes... Okay, some, with, some, some younger people. Some younger people. I do think, yeah, and whoever's called as a boomer, shame on you. Um, <laughs> but in terms of um, with age comes, I think, wisdom. And so wisdom may look like we're entrenched in beliefs. It's just the fact that we've learned stuff. Okay, I now know it's not wise to stick a knife into a power socket. And so I'm entrenched in that belief. And there would be other beliefs I have in terms of all sorts of things about life that have come through years of making lots of mistakes and getting it wrong, and I've learned. Okay, now if people want to say, well, that means you're entrenched in your beliefs, well, yeah, maybe that's what wisdom is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more complex than that. So anyhow, I'd love to know um, in what ways, yeah, we're in, what beliefs we're particularly entrenched with and hard to take. Yeah, um, and, so I, and, I, and I expect it's our rabbit sessions that get people, Dwayne. <laughs> but, uh, but for that being said, lots of people keep commenting how much they love our uh, our holes. Well, yeah, holes. well, that, that's <laughs> that's okay. Um, by all means, give us a review. But if you do want to rate us, I don't mind if no one explains a five star review. That's no no, no problem at all. No, give us the five stars. That's okay. Don't explain it. <laughs> but if you have to, if you have to, or give us a five star review and tell us how we can get a six star review. There you go. Do that for us. Um, because yeah, it's I'm always open to to feedback, uh, and always like to know what people are interested in. If there's something I'm doing that's irritating, I'm interested in it. Um, it's not going to say I'm not going to have hurt feelings, Philip. You know that. But You're very sensitive. I, I've still got to deal with it, and <laughs> you know, the amount of criticism that's out there for other people, the amount of criticism I get is nothing compared to what other people get. Yeah. So, I can take a little bit. So just tell us, tell us what you think. Tell us how, um, how you how you think we can improve, and if if we can, and tell us what. Also, tell us what you think you've learnt from us as well, because everyone can learn from everybody. That's my view, anyway. But but yeah, whoever that person was, you're spot on. We do do some great interviews. Uh, we love <laughs> we love doing them. All right, that'll do us. Let's jump out of this rabbit hole. We'll claw our way back to the surface. I'll throw in a little trailer for... Let's throw in a trailer for... Mm, let's go... Do you want to go bang, bang, a boom? 
Yeah, I love Bang Bang Boom. I know you do. Let's throw in a trailer for that. We'll come back in a moment with Bonnie Langford. Ladies and gentle beings, welcome one and all to the 309th Intergalactic Song Contest. The Intergalactic Song Contest? The what? I mean, of course, um... The Intergalactic Song Contest. This mission sums it all up. Achilles Ford gets the All World's Peace Convention. Star Island 12 gets the embassy to the Shackrock Empire. What do we get? The Intergalactic Song Contest. I sing. Excuse me, but, but what are you doing? It looks very interesting. Uh, uh, this, this. Uh, it's a device for, um, uh, for measuring proton strings in the 12th dimension. What have you discovered so far? I just uh, don't know. Holy mouth! Is this the way? Down this corridor! Oh, oh dear. Naughty breeders. Oh, Mel. What? Haven't you worked it out? Didn't you realise? But I. The clues were all there. But why? Because I was drunk. I was. I was drunk. Well. I'm just not like the other boys. You're not like any other man. We've carried out a full security scan, double-checked the entire station. There is no bomb. That creature, it tried to kill me. Good. One of you pass the wine. Quickly, Mel! The arena! What is going on? If we don't stop him, bang, bang, a boom! Our guest today has been entertaining audiences for over 50 years, from singing and dancing to theatre, from soap opera, and even to a computer program from Pease Pottage. Bonnie Langford has done all this and much more. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Long way away. It's exciting. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Um, now, I said 50 years. It seems like a long time, but mm. uh, but you were very young when you started, weren't you? Oh, I was. I was in the womb. <laughs> uh, yes, I was definitely. No, I started. My first uh, West End show was when I was seven. My first TV show was when I was six. So, um, yeah, I've been going a long time and I've kept going the whole way through, which I'm really so grateful for. I really am. And I still, you know, there's there's things that I don't like about it, but on the whole, I like it and I still enjoy it. So to be able to do anything for that long and still enjoy it, I think is such a such a joy and I feel very privileged. Mm. Absolutely. What what was it that pushed you into performance at that uh, at that young age? Were your parents uh, pushing you in that yeah. direction? It, well, it was my mother, but actually yes, I mean my my family actually, my I haven't gone back any further, but my great aunt, so my grandmother's sister was a ballerina and uh, studied with people like Ninette de Valois, all the people who created our um, Royal Ballet here. And um, and she became a dancer and travelled the world with, with Pavlova, Anna Pavlova, who was a huge ballerina, came back to England um, after her travels and opened a dancing school. And my mother, who was young then, joined it, and then she took over the dancing school. My, when I was born, my sister was um, te- 10 years old and was just going to the Royal Ballet School herself. And my other sister was going to a theatre school. So, you know, it was, it was definitely, it was just in the household. 
It was the household business. My father was nothing to do with it whatsoever. Um, but yes, dancing and training and, um, you know, all kinds of performing and learning a craft was, was definitely in the industry. I was the one who started off the earliest. It was not intended. Um, it just was a sort of a, a, a situation that happened. And um, it's just everything has happened by sheer sort of chance and and luck. But yeah, so that's really, it was just something completely normal. This was what's so bizarre about my life is that, you know, I, sometimes I talk about things and um I think they're completely sort of normal experiences. And then people go, no, no, that's really not normal. <laughs> but my actual, my my daily life was completely average. It's just that sometimes I would go off and go to a theatre in the West End and do a show. Now, you were very, very busy throughout the 70s as a, a child performer. Mm. How did you... How did you go with transitioning? Because in Australia, I, I was not very aware of you until I was not aware of you at all until Doctor Who. But mm. you'd been performing for a long time before that. What was the transition like between a child actor and sort of as you were getting older? What was that like? Well, it's a, that's a really good question because I still I can tell the age of someone by what they know me from. So I did a TV show, particularly. So I mean, I'd been on television and I'd been in theatre and I'd even been to Broadway and stuff like that. But TV is the thing that has the impact, obviously, because you're in people's living rooms. But I had I had been in a television series when I was actually about 12. I was playing a six-year-old um, called Just William, which did actually, it came to Australia. Certainly, I'm not sure how much further it went, but it, it did go there. And um, and that was very popular in, uh, in England. It was just a, it was a really, it was a children's program on a Sunday afternoon and it's called Just William. And I played a, a character who was very kind of precocious and very um, willful, let's say. And, um, and so that became hugely popular here, even though I was only in, you know, a matter of about three episodes. And sometimes if somebody comes up to me and says this catchphrase that I had in that um, TV series, I can tell how old they are because it's never been repeated. <laughs> so, um, uh, and sometimes that is, I found through my transitioning years, I found that really difficult because I thought, oh my goodness, I have done, and still to this day, if someone comes up to me and says that catchphrase from when I was a kid, I think all the stuff I've done, I've done such a bigger body of work since then that I um sorry my dog is running around like a lunatic she's going out for a walk and she's very very excited um but so I can tell you know it, sometimes you think oh just let me let me be who I am now rather who I who I was 40 years ago but then you sometimes now I can look at it and think well isn't it lovely that people have me in their memory bank of so many probably more important personal things and somewhere I pop up in there as something that reminds them of their childhood. Um, it's like sort of bad haircuts, you know, you remember them. <laughs> I think I'm like that. Um, or my character was like that. What was difficult was that, as I say, I played these characters and then people thought it was me, which was a backhanded compliment. Because I was obviously very convincing, but I actually was not like that person at all at home. So, you know, it's just a case of weathering certain transitions through our lives. Sometimes when you're doing it in public, it can be, you know, a bit trying. But I'm still here. I haven't had any nervous break. Well, didn't do too well, but I haven't had any major, major, kind of, you know, I haven't, I haven't had major sort of, I haven't gone into rehab, let's say that. 
for the last week or two, I've been listening to one of your albums called Now. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, which, uh, which um, I, I've had for ages, but I pulled out again and started listening to it again. And, and the second track is I'm a Woman. And so I'm yes. assuming, it's actually struck me that I didn't realise before, listening to it now, I'm realising it's actually quite autobiographical. As yes. Well, a lot of songs it on it. And, yeah. and, that, so and that, was, that, that song that to me it. is you saying, I'm a woman now. I've grown up. Let me be an adult. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, it was a while ago now that I did that. And um, it was written for me by Tony Hatch, who also wrote the Neighbours theme. Yes! Oh, yeah, and, go. Um, great taste. <laughs> yes. So Tony Hatch, who's the most amazing song. I mean, Downtown, all the hits for Petula Clark. Um, did he write Home and Away as well? I'm not sure he might have written the theme tune for that, but certainly the Neighbours theme tune and all those things. He um, He's an absolute icon of, of songwriting and he is a friend of mine and uh he said i'll write your song and he wrote that um and it was it was autobiographical because uh, that was i was doing a show at the time i was touring uh the uk and it was a way of sort of saying okay yeah you remember me from that but hey i miss that i don't use that song anymore but it was it was at the time it was a, a lovely way of going okay we all know where, where you're thinking but let's just look at me now and that's that really um, my my first memory of you is actually before Doctor Who, which I hadn't realised. I, I mentioned before we chatted that I have people will know who listens to podcasts. I've got a huge love of musicals as well, and that, that huge love of musicals comes from when my parents took me to London. To, we were visiting family there, and they took me to a show that had just opened um, called Cats, mm-hmm. and it was the most amazing moment when the lights go down, the lighting started, the stage started revolving. And out came all these people, one of whom was you. Ah. And, I actually, and I actually dug out my program and actually you were um, still yes. in the cast at that stage. Um, and part of my passion and love for musicals came from that first musical. Um, and since then, you know, that I, I bought the soundtrack. I wore the Rumble J. and Uncle Hootiezer track down. My parents hated me playing it. That was <laughs> my favourite track on the entire album, which I just played over and over again because it was just so playful and fun and as a you know, teenage boy, these cats getting all up to this mischief. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so my love of theatre is a lot of it's part of it's because of what your work. Oh, well, that's, I feel very, you see, this is one of the lovely things. This is the, this is the bonus stuff that I get in my life is that I feel really privileged and really uh, thankful that, you know, something that I was in introduced you to a world of, of wonder. And I'm really, I'm, I'm, thrilled about that thank you because I do think it's really important that you know those sorts of memories pardon the pun are exactly you know they lead us to different places they uh, you know it's, it's about feelings you know our lives really although we might remember sort of events we remember them because of how they made us feel and if something like that made you feel that you wanted to explore theatre more and enjoy it then how great is that that's just such a a, a fantastic thing thank you uh cats was quite a remarkable show to be part of i was only 16 at the time and it was you were saying about transition chain and and actually cats was really helpful to me because i didn't have to be a particular age or whatever i didn't have to be in a school uniform or anything i was just you know this cat obviously the one of the youngest but um it just got me through that transition um, from a child to a more adult roles, because at that point as well in the early 80s was this sort of dance boom where everyone was 
either doing Jane Fonda or fame or, you know, suddenly dance became um, a very popular entity. And so that helped me to be youthful, but I didn't have to be a child. Um, and Cats has always been something that's very close to my heart because when you've created something and you've been there while it was being envisioned and then becoming a, an actual entity that then has gone on and on and on to create such a success throughout the world. Um, it's it feels very exciting having been there at the beginning through all the chaos <laughs> many years later i saw you again playing roxy hart in chicago oh thank you um, so th that time i did go specifically to see you because of the doctor who connections um oh. so i mean that's quite a different role in terms of cats now you've had this huge stage career i mean you've just finished oh i'm not sure if you're still playing but you're playing quite recently uh, nine to five and, and the mm. role of Roz, which it's actually about to open in Sydney, that musical. Oh, yes, uh, because my friend is in it, Caroline oh. O'Connor. You have to go and see it. She's phenomenal. Caroline, she I've seen Caroline in 30 works, if not more. She's the most amazing. Actually, I've seen her play Roxy Hart too. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so in terms of your whole musical career, what, what is what what keeps you driven in terms of the dancing, the music? Um, yeah, what, why, why is musical theatre such a passion for you? Well, because I think it offers the the full range of of emotion and physical and emotional ability. It you know, there's there's this thing. I think I, I don't like singing and dancing just for the sake of it. I think it has to mean something. I think it has to elevate the story, move the story on. I think it has to if it doesn't move the story on, it has to explain more about the certain character that you're playing. Um and and be part of it and I you know music I just think you know all forms of music are absolutely amazing I think when you've got that support of a fantastic orchestra and the orchestrations to illustrate your story even more and then maybe choreography as well it just you know it literally does transform you to a different place um, I actually just went to see Moulin Rouge here in London it was phenomenal and Caroline of course was in the film of that Yes. Um, and when I was doing nine to five in London, she came to see it. And we went and had tea at the Savoy afterwards. Please send her my love if you see her, because at the time they were talking about her doing it. And of course, the pandemic happened and she was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And I'm going, do it. Why not? You're the only one who can. Um, we've known each other for years and years and years. And I love her dearly. Um, and I think we all we, we, we come from the same world where, um, you know, there's also not that many people who can do that. It, the thing about, as I say, the thing about musicals for me is that it's that heightened sense of taking it to yet another place where you um, encompass music, elevation of whatever story you're telling. Um, and sometimes people do stop and think, I mean, they, people used to say to me, it's driving me absolutely mad. They used to say, oh, yeah, you know, you've done a bit of singing and dancing. Have you ever thought about acting? I mean, what is it? <laughs> That's what it is, isn't it? You just do it in a different way. And you were talking about um, Chicago and um, playing Roxy Hart. And, of course, Chicago was originally created, um, the show, by, by Bob Fosse. And he would say um, at one point that there's this quote that um, he was in the middle of a of a technical rehearsal and he asked the stage manager to go and call the actors down to the stage and she said you know do you want the dancers and he said no 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 we are all actors dancers are actors who communicate with their bodies that's the only difference and I've always kept that with me in that um 
yes, I love musicals because I, I love the, the music and I love the whole um, production of it all. But I think also I love the way that you can tell a story further. So I, I, I've been given strict orders not to talk about musicals for too long. So Oh, he could talk for hours. I could talk for hours. I've, I've got to say, Bonnie, oh. thank you. Thank you for introducing him through Cats because he never shuts up about musical theatre anymore. I'm, I'm trying sorry. To, I'm trying to expand I'm- Dwayne's taste. <laughs> No, I do. I do like. I do like the uh, the odd play here and there, or the odd musical. Um, well, I think. I think what's important. You know what? A lot of people say, "Oh, I don't like musicals." I think it. There are good musicals and there are yeah. very bad musicals, and there are good plays and there are very bad plays. And I don't think it's actually the genre. I think it's whether it's done well and whether it appeals to you. I think, as I say, if you just see people leaping around for no reason, I don't like it either. But I think if something's done well, whatever it is. There, usually that's that's the key to it. It's not necessarily the genre, it's whether it's done very well or not. That's all. Very good. So so what got you in the sights of John Nathan Turner? Do you recall? <laughs> well, there's a musicals fan. Oh my goodness. John Nathan Turner absolutely adored musicals. He was like, ah! um, and uh, and so he was always going out and seeing things. And there was this restaurant um, uh, that's still there, actually, called Joe Allen's in London, that um, basically it, it was also in America and it came to London uh, because it, it stayed open late. And generally you could go after a show, most people would, uh, you know, if they were going to go anywhere, they would go there after the show and have something to eat. So it was sort of like a theatre cafe in a way. It was a, it was where you would just go to chill out after show. And I was there one night and John came in with my agent and I said hello to him and he'd been to see something else. And uh, I think I was doing Peter Pan at the time. And he said, uh, you know, he was very chatty and lovely. And also his partner, Gary had been in the original production, original London production of Sweet Charity, which I absolutely loved. So he had worked for Bob Fosse himself. Uh, So they were very, you know, John and Gary were a very theatrical couple. And uh, anyway, so John was there and uh, he'd also been working with another friend of mine on one of the episodes. And he said, you should come and do it. And I went, oh, I'd love to. That was it. Um, and obviously that was the seed that was sown. And then a few weeks later, I get a call to say, would you, you know, would you look at this paragraph of a character? What do you think about it? Would you come into the office and have a chat? Which I did. And then I ended up in Doctor Who. <laughs> it was as bizarre as that. Did you need to audition or they just put you straight in? No, no they just put me straight in. That was it. That's interesting. And the first I heard, been- the first I heard of the character, Melanie Bush, was... John had produced a, a book called Doctor Who: The Companions, and it was before he was. It was just illustrations with a bit of info about each companion, and there was this companion at the end, Melanie Bush, coming soon. So he he put put you in the book or your character in the book even before she was on screen. So that was the first I heard of it. And at the time, the show was going through quite a, a difficult uh, trajectory. It was. <laughs> basically sailing towards a big black hole. And um, and so, you know, the, the one thing that John loved was he loved his rogues gallery of his famous faces on the wall, of which he had, you know, he had a whole wall full of him pictures with all these amazing styles, I remember that. And at the time I was in the press a lot. And uh, I think that maybe, you know, he wanted to also get a lot of visibility for the show. He wanted to be able to drum up the support that he knew was out there so that the show could continue. He was a, you know, he was a huge fan. He loved, loved, loved the show. And, um, you know, more than most uh, producers would. He he literally, 
he he was a big fan and he couldn't bear to see it not being served the way it should be. So he fought for it. We in Australia, we don't see the sort of tabloids. I, I think the British press run very differently over there than what, what we have. And I, I know bet. that they tend to be very attacking. And I, and I think Doctor Who fans at that stage were, were some were very vocal in terms of being negative about everything. Did you mm-hmm. feel pressure on you in terms of when you were coming in? Was, was there much... Um, did you feel any attack towards you personally in terms of coming into the role? Oh, well, you see, I'm one of these people that I try to avoid the press as much as possible and not read it. And that, I think, is the best thing because (laughs) there will, and, you know, you get that even more now with social media, there will always be somebody who disagrees. There will always be somebody who will say something about you, for you. You know, we've all got opinions. We do it ourselves. We'll say something about someone we probably know nothing about what's going on behind their lives and why they're doing something or what have you, you know. And we like to also imagine, particularly with people in the media, Because what they sell is this lifestyle that doesn't exist. You know, oh, I'll be rich and famous. First of all, that doesn't go together. Um, And, you know, they also think, you know, everybody thinks that every time you're in the paper, you get paid a fortune. You never get paid a thing. And, you know, they, so, you know, it's, it's, it's this complete sort of Hollywood fake sort of old fashioned showbiz that doesn't never existed even then. So it's sort of um, that in itself is weird. Um, they, we also think that people who are in the media have got it all sussed. We're all paddling, you know, we're, we're all like, you know, swans. We look, might look gorgeous on the top, but underneath we're flapping our wings like, you know, flapping our feet like you wouldn't know. So, you know, we're all just humans trying to do a job and make a living. And, um, and we're no greater or lesser than anybody else. We're just all trying to, trying to survive, aren't we? And, um, you know, the, the, I choose as much as possible not to see what's written in the press or anywhere else because it it can be very damaging to how you then perceive yourself good bad or indifferent um i think at the time john wanted to try and get column inches and i was in the press a lot um sometimes nicely sometimes not but what can you do you can't please all the people all the time i went into the show um a little bit blindly um and in a way, I think that was probably the best and only way to do it. I couldn't solve everything. And also, I was just playing a part. And that part was not the doctor. It was the companion. So I was, you know, coming in as this outside entity just to support and to, um, you know, be the conduit. Basically, I always think that the, um, that the assistant is uh, not anymore. But at that point, definitely was the one who asked the stupid questions in order to explain them to the audience. You know, well, what are we doing, doctor? Because... You know, you can't show the doctor walking along five miles of corridor because it's boring, you know, and, and it's a way of going, well, you know, I know we've traveled far now, but we have to go this way. You know, it's OK. We've told everyone we've come a long way. That's that's what certain parts and certain stories are about. He might be just the the, the messenger. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I still to this day don't really know what was going on, but whatever happened, um, it we stayed on a little bit longer. I said I would be in the show for two seasons. I stayed for two seasons and then I left. And then I got on with the rest of my life. And then what's so amazing about this show, and I I think it's pretty much like no other, is that it's the gift that keeps on giving. I didn't think that in the mid-80s I would still be talking about that job 
in 2022. <laughs> I mean, you know, and still part of it and still doing these audio dramas and still working with Colin and Sylvester and basically part of this amazing community that has grown and grown and grown for a TV show. Isn't it, isn't it phenomenal? It, it's just, I would never, ever, ever have predicted it. And so it just shows, doesn't it, that, you know, at that point the show was in jeopardy, as are so many television shows. I mean, you know, how many shows have there been that have been the odd couple of series and gone off or yeah. a few series and got, you know, it's it's not a given that just because you make a television series, it should last forever. But Doctor Who has, and isn't it brilliant? Mm. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Wrong Doctors. Peas pottage hot, peas pottage cold, Peas pottage in the pot, nine days old. Melody Jane Bush, I sense her. Shouldn't you be off travelling with a future doctor? That's what the other you said when he left me here to meet you. I mean, not you, some other you. So my other self is walking into a trap. All you've done wiped from existence. Everything deleted from the timelines. Destroyed again and again. Readings are off the scale. The Valanxium's disintegrating. The toll must be paid. How right you are. Here, Mardak. <laughs> Down you go. Oh, he killed Derek. The raving, starving parasites of the Vortex will feast on you. Listen, they're coming. No, run, Doctor, run. <laughs> How delicious. A Time Lord who's run out of time. Just press down on this ear handle. Oh, Mel. I'm so, so sorry. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. I, I should say that um, I missed the, the last uh, few episodes of Trial of the Time Lord, so I, I didn't see you in those. The first mm -hmm. episode I saw you in was when I was on a road trip. Uh, I was traveling in the outback of New South Wales, um, and I was in a little town called Lightning Ridge. It's a mining town, and I was in a motel. I was about 15 at the time. I was with a, an, my grandmother and my and my uncle, and uh, I insisted that we stop in this motel. It was the first Doctor Who that I'd sort of watched on first transmission. It was live, and uh, got them to watch it, and it was Time in the Rani, your your first episode with Sylvester. So um, that has a very, very special place in, in my heart, that episode. Hey, how's it going? I am standing here in Lightning Ridge, and it was 31 years ago when I visited Lightning Ridge for the first time and stayed in this motel, the Black Oval Motel. And things have changed a little bit. There's a few more people around that I remember. But what was very interesting is that in one of these rooms in this motel, I can't remember which one it was, it was where I saw on its live transmission in Australia the very first Sylvester McCoy episode of Doctor Who called Time and the Rani. And I still remember begging my, my uncle and grandma, who I was road tripping with at the time, to... Uh, to stay in one of those rooms stay in that room until that episode of Doctor Who had finished
finished. And uh, on this little road trip in the last couple of days where we've been, Burke and Lightning Ridge, I've been thinking of my grandma and my uncle. Another funny thing that happened in this motel, I just remembered, is that the lady that checked us in was really lovely. I remember, she was really nice. And, she, and, and we said, is there anywhere nice to eat in town? And she said, oh, just over the road there, there's a, there's a Chinese restaurant. Do you like Chinese? We said, yeah, we like Chinese. And we went to the restaurant behind me. It's over on that block over there. Just over my shoulder there. We went and we sat down. The waitress came over. She said, can I take your order, please? And it was the same woman who checked us into the black opal motel so there you go there's a little story for you there it is there's a piece of my personal history that i've come back to revisit after 31 years wow you see that's see, listen to that how how amazing that i'm inadvertently part of something that then you while you're telling that story so beautifully and vividly I can actually imagine that. I can think, wow. And, and something that we filmed in a quarry in Stroud <laughs> in England in the freezing cold and the rain had an impact on your young life. And, and you still remember it. I mean, it is, it is, quite, it is quite phenomenal, isn't it? It's quite wonderful. Um, and, and, of course, in those days, you couldn't just record and watch it when you felt like it. You couldn't put catch up on. You couldn't stream it. You couldn't do all those things. So, in fact, it made it even more of an event because you had to be there at that time. And you couldn't see it at, you know, well, don't worry, I'll watch it later when we get there. I'll watch it on the phone as we're in the car. Nothing like that. It, it's, it had so much impact. How, how brilliant. I did have the video timer set back home, but it didn't work. So I, <laughs> I I had to wait for the repeat to see it again. Fortunately, in Australia, we had lots of repeats, so that was that was fine. <laughs> how did you find working? You know, Colin and Sylvester are very different people. Um, yeah. how, how did you feel the transition from working? You know, you worked with Colin for a few months, and then sadly he went. Um, moving to Sylvester, how how did you find that whole changeover? Well, I knew both of them in different uh, shows. So I had been in pantomime with Colin uh, just before I did Cats, actually. And so I knew him from there. I also, you know, came into the show as the newbie. In fact, I was with Michael Jaston on Saturday and he was in um, the um, Trial, of Time Lord Trial of a Time Lord as well. Oh, he's just... <laughs> He's so naughty. But I was terribly, um, <laughs> oh, my God, I was terribly green and very earnest and very sincere and wanted to do my absolute best and take it all very seriously. And they took it very seriously. The directors and John and everyone was all very serious. And I kind of thought, oh, they're a bit deeper, meaningful in. Um, so it was quite intense. And um, and I knew that Colin was was, you know, he wasn't happy, you know, he was, but there was a lot going on. There was, it was quite sort of, I, I kept my distance in some respects. And, um, and then when Sylvester came in, I, it was, it, I knew Sylvester because I'd been in Pirates of Penzance with him in London with Tim Curry. And so, you know, in some respects it was nice for me because I thought, well, I'm going to try and help, you know, I'm, I'm his assistant, I'm his companion in the show, but also I can almost play that role in real life because 
he's joining into this mad community of which I know a tiny weeny little bit and we can learn more together. Um, and, and it was great in some respects because uh, Sylvester being shorter meant that I didn't have to wear high heels anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I do so many audio dramas with Colin and Sylvester that um, although they're very different people, uh, we, we have such a lovely connection and relationship and I've just done a whole series of, of um, audio dramas over the past year with Colin and that's been an absolute joy I haven't seen him at all because it's all been down the line but um, we we managed to do that and we've just done a um, so during the lockdown uh, we, you know, we were all kind of clearing out our cupboards and storage and finding things. We thought, what the heck is this? And uh, Russell T. Davis, who, of course, brought the show back and is now the new showrunner again, um, he found a script that he had written when he was 23, uh, the first, I think, the first script he'd ever written. And he wrote it for Six Doctor and Melanie Bush. And we've just re-recorded it. We've recorded it on audio. And that comes out in March. Next month, here. I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So that was exciting. And, um, yeah, it's does, 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 does it feel like Russell T. Davis? I mean, you, you know, he's such an amazing writer now. I mean, I guess it was an early work. I mean, does, does yeah. it have that sort of style, his characters? Oh, yeah. yeah. Takes yeah, the most likable character thing... and kills him halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yes, he does sort of. He, um, <laughs> it, it, well, what, what the difference that I found is that when I did my stories, they were all sort of set in, you know, space somewhere in the middle of the you know distance somewhere uh pretty much and um and they were uh the thing about russell even from the word go he related it to earth he related it to ordinary people um it starts in a living room in you know tardis materializes in somebody's living room it was different even then it was much more uh sort of uh, earth-based people-based feelings how you are about something different characters young characters older characters all coming together in this you know to support each other so I, I think it had more of a let's say human element than a sci-fi element um it just you know happened to be that there were these you know there these other other um uh, characters coming in from elsewhere but it was based you could tell that you know his way of writing was very um relatable um to those of us watching it so yeah it did have a different feel to the way that things were written then they were they were much more oh we have to do a bit more sci-fi talk and it didn't seem so relatable and also for Mel um in fact I think he wrote me up a bit which was great because all I ever got really in the tv series was but doctor <laughs> I was supposed to be a computer programmer I never went anywhere near a computer let alone the TARDIS console I mean just never touched anything so um you know, it, it's it's nicer to think that certainly the female characters have developed. Yeah, certainly one thing about Big Finish is, particularly in relation to the Sixth Doctor, is that Collins had a chance to kind of play the Doctor the way he always wanted to, and in a way that he didn't on the television series. Yeah. Was it was it similar for the character of Mel for you that you got? Because one thing, although you you say that the character. Um, says what is a doctor a lot of the time the tv mel also screamed quite a lot too uh which i don't hear i don't think i've ever heard a scream like you did in the tv series on a big finish audio was so was it similar on big finish in in playing mel the way you wanted to 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, and they wanted me to do some of the big Finnish audios. I said, well, I'm just not going to walk around screaming all the time. Please, you know, don't make me scream. I do scream a bit now as Mel, but I don't think I can scream as high anymore, actually. So it's a different. <laughs> It's a lower scream. Got to protect the voice. Yes, it just yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's the thing I like about the big Finnish audios is that you know you have more sort of space and uh, pardon the pun, but you have more sort of time to be able to develop something. Um, you're not trying to cram it into a half hour episode. You um, you know because there was always a lot to get in, even though the stories would often go over four episodes. It was still a lot to get in. Um, and yeah, you and Mel is able to to participate a lot more. Um, you know, I think usefully probably is a word to say as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been much better to be able to do the big finish audios. I love the fact that you know you you leave everything to the imagination. I think audio is is fantastic and it's proved so popular you know big finish are just incredible the amount of output they've got now they've got hundreds and hundreds constantly making all sorts of different things different spin-offs um and it's it's great to feel part of that community again but to do it i think one of the my reluctance at first was the fact that well there's really nothing to offer for this character if all she's going to do is just be annoying by going off somewhere else and then the doctor has to basically rescue her so she's a bit like Faye Ray you know going help help um or or just asking inane questions I didn't want to do it so you know Mel definitely has a lot more to do and say and to contribute and it's lovely to be able to build that bond with Colin and Sylvester as the Doctor. How did you actually come to work for Big Finish? How did they approach you? Um, I mean, you have had the most extraordinary career in terms of stage, television, what you've done. Um, mm. w- w- yeah, were they nervous to come and approach you and say, hey, how do you feel? Who, who I don't you know. <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask them. I can't remember. I know it's Gary Russell first approached me and um, and it was the first one I did was the one about... Fires of Vulcan. That's it. And it was lovely. It was a lovely story. And um, yeah, and Sylvester was on it as well. So he was very sweet, you know. So yeah, it was it was funny getting back into it in a way. And and I know that they were very, you know, I I said that I I really didn't want to do it if it was just going to be like the last time because it was pointless. And um, and so it was a lovely script. And and then, you know, it was just it was sort of joyous to be able to go into the studio and uh and have nice days just doing audio drama again you know it's just like i love doing radio drama it's great and i think it's amazing that it's so popular i can understand why it's been 22 years you've been doing audio dramas for big finish now are you kidding no that that first one came out in 2000 and so you you recorded i think in 99 so yeah you've been there from almost the very beginning um, you have taken a few years off now and then because it, it's, you know, I just saw there's a whole heap of stuff coming out this year. I think you've got two box sets with Colin, you've got one box with Sylvester, you've got the Russell T. Davis already announced, um, and there might be more in the can, I don't know. <laughs> um, but in terms of... Which is the one with Colin? Which are the other box sets with Colin? Is it the Six Doctor Adventures? Uh, it is. Yeah, Six Doctor Adventures. Or Peladon. No, no, Peladon has just been released. That's, that's okay. just different. I listened to that today, actually. Me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's two with two with Colin, one coming out in April and one in July, oh. um, but not named. It just says the Sixth Doctor Adventures, title to be advised, 
but you've got the seventh doctor coming out as well called silver and the ice box set oh. that's all on the website <laughs> you must have recorded it they wouldn't put it on the box they wouldn't put it on the website oh no no i mean i've been doing loads i mean what i've done i don't have a, a studio here i don't want to have a studio here i can't i can't you know do it i think people have been amazing through um lockdown and and all this pandemic in that you know it's actually i think they've gone they've gone further and done even more than they would have done because also apart from anything else people like me are not you know normally available and and um uh, thank goodness i'm very lucky but uh the reason why i have taken you know haven't done sort of there have been gaps when i haven't done any is because uh well i was doing eastenders for three and a half years and it was just impossible to try and book any days because the the you know they don't give you your schedule for eastenders until well sometimes the day before but certainly the friday before and so i could never book um a doctor who because i tried to do some of them and it would always be a case of oh god they've called me and i can't come in now which you know I, i'm it's not fair on other people so i wasn't able to to commit to record but now you can do it anywhere as i say i've done our series we've gone i've done hundreds of the things and um uh i haven't seen him at all <laughs> it's just he's been at home in his studio and i've been in the studio i actually go to a studio just down the road on my own <laughs> just down there doing it all on my own i mean sometimes people come and join me in my little booth <laughs> um in fact with the russell t davis there were about five of us in the studio it was very exciting it was because annette was there Net Badland, I know she was there. And then lots of the other ladies were there. Um, yeah, there, I think there were about five of us in the studio then. But most of the time, it's just me on my own. And, um, yeah, but, it, uh, I mean, I think it's, I can't bear the, the I mean, I'm playing computer programmer. The one thing I can't bear is the <laughs> fact that the computer, when it goes, you know, they have to, we record these scenes and then they have to save the file, send the file. Then somebody, you know, like the postman comes to the door, the dog goes mad. Suddenly you go, oh, I'm really sorry. We had to do a, we did something the other day. Uh, we we're doing a scene and um, the engineer in the studio said, I'm really sorry, but there's a, there's a bit of a buzz. There's a sort of a weird noise. Is, is something, you know, have you got your mic near the computer? Is it buzzing? And it turned out it was, her dog was asleep on her, at her feet and it was snoring. <laughs> 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 to record the scene, re-record the scene because the dog was snoring and you could hear it on the, on the <laughs> So, you know, it's stuff like that that we're all adapting, we're all adjusting, but and in many respects it's it's actually enabled. I think we had somebody in one of the two, I can't remember which one I did, but in one of the episodes of something, there was someone who was in New Zealand and recording it and doing a part. And it was, you know, bless him, he was doing it sort of into the into the middle of the night because we were doing it through the day and uh, it was that Mark was Strickson? amazing no was it, it wasn't no. Mark Strickson no, Mark, yeah. no it was a, it was another character a, a character specifically for that story um and, but I know that the actor was in in New Zealand at the time so that lovely coming soon from Big Finish Productions Doctor Who the high price of parking welcome to our home free parkers Welcome to the tribe of the lost. Three, two, one. Still got it. Free parking! Explosion detected in sector three, ma'am. I've locked down the area. Right, I see. 
Is it them? My people, we have found our foe! We must head for glory! I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of any of it. Uh oh! They're swinging round! The rocket! God! Get out of the way of the rocket! Ah! Did everyone make it out? I think so. Those three parkers tried to kill me. That's going too far. Get in! Now! Oh, don't have to ask me twice! Please, do not enter that vehicle! Step on it, sunshine! Stop! Stop now! The more corpses pile up, the less chance we have of keeping this under our hats. If you can't stop this, I'll find people who can. This sounds a risky plan. On a day like today, any plan's a risk. If we want to save lives, it's a risk we've got to take. Tool up! Let's go stop a war! Big finish. We love stories. There was a period a few years back, Bonnie, when you were when you joined forces with um, Sophie Aldred uh, for a while. Yeah. So what was yeah. what, what was that dynamic like? Oh, I love Sophie. See, I was I love Sophie. We were we were there, um, so she came into the series and took over from me as the assistant. But um, bless her heart, she was so sweet and so lovely. And she always sort of, she, she's so complimentary to me because she always says that I helped her get to the studio. She didn't even know where to go and everyone assumed that she knew. And I sort of took her under my wing, which I suppose I did. Um, but just because she's a fellow actor and you do, you just look after people, don't you? And, um, and I think that's one of the things I did enjoy about when I was doing Doctor Who was that it felt we had so many amazing guest artists come in that I always felt like we were the sort of the, the parents, if you like. And uh, we were part of sort of like a rep company, but we, Sylvester and I were the people that were always there sort of welcoming new people in. And it was almost like you're starting a new job, but we'd been there before or welcome. To, I felt like it was, it was, part of my job which I was really happy to do to sort of make people and you know help people enjoy it put people at their ease and so Sophie always um, is very flattering when she says that you know I helped her because I, she didn't even know where the dressing room was and 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 she didn't want to look stupid and I didn't didn't you know I wouldn't go and shame her I'd just go no it's just over here you know I didn't have to go don't know where it is it, it, she didn't want to look naive but she did need to ask a question and um We've, we've kept in touch um, over the years a lot. And, um, and yeah, we've done some some of the uh, Big Finish audios together and we do some conventions together and stuff like that. So, yeah, so, um, Sophie is just lovely. Sophie and Sylvan and I and Colin and all that. Yeah. And, and because of the box sets that have come out as well, and they've done these sort of behind-the-sofa things and, like, um, different goggle boxes type things and all that, we... Uh, we've done them together and in different combinations and that's nice as well. And Sophie's a lot more involved with who than I am. So I sometimes watch things or I might phone her and go, what is that? Why am I, what is that? What is that? Bit? Who are they? And, um, and also I do, I do have a very naughty sense of humor and I do sometimes find things funny when I shouldn't. And so I kind of keep it a bit light. <laughs> she's kind of you know this is you know this was this amazing character and I go but it just looks really silly and I'm allowed to say it because I'm not really that invested in it in the fact that you know it's just I just look at it from the outside and go but that's the most ridiculous costume why did they make them wear that um and that is a quite you know it's quite a great combination 
She's a lovely, lovely girl, Sophie. I really like her a lot. Yeah. You very much are the uh, triple threat in terms of, you know, dancing, acting, um, just everything that you'd, you'd want in terms of a performer. What, what form of performance and work do you actually like to do most of all in terms of, is it, is it being on a Broadway stage and a West End stage? Is it being on television? Is it the audio? If, if you had a choice of going to work tomorrow, what would you choose to do? Do you know what? The reason I do this job is because of the variety. If it was any one thing all the time, it would be dull. And I just feel very, uh, you know, and, and no matter what you do, there's always something else that you haven't done that they ask you to do. And you think, gosh, I've done all these different things and I'm still being given challenges. And that's what it's about. It's about being interested and interesting. Um, Theatre is immediate. Uh, you get on there, it, you, you are sort of, it's, 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 it's down to you what you, what then is seen immediately, pretty much. You know, obviously you've got a whole team of people around you, but um, you're standing on a stage, you have to do that part. You have to do it from beginning to end, no cuts, no stops, no doing it again. Um, and you have to entertain that audience and you get that immediate feedback, good, bad or indifferent. And that's very much more, um, you know, it's it's, it's uh, quite daunting. But if you know what you're doing, it can be absolutely wonderful that you get that immediate response and it's it's instant. And so you get that what we're talking about at the beginning, which is that feeling in the room. Uh, that's like no other. And that's what we missed terribly, I think, during the pandemic. And we're just slowly getting it back now. Um, uh, television, you reach more people and it's there forever. That could be good or bad because if you're really not very good in something, you're stuck with it. Um, and you don't have control over the edit. So you don't really know whether you're judging it correctly. You just have to do your best. With film, you're very, very large. So that could be quite daunting. Uh, with audio, you can do it. You hope that it sounds great. And also you're leaving it to people's imagination as to how they visualize you in their head. And that can be lovely too. It's all those different things. And I just recently as well, I did, um, uh, do you get the masked singer over there? We do. Yes. But we've got our own yeah. version of it though. Oh, you, are you doing I, it in Australia? Oh. I, I did watch the clip of you being unmasked today. You're a squirrel. <laughs> the, is yeah, that the masked dancer? I was on a masked dancer. We've only had one series here, so I did that series here. And so, you know, you, you just when you think life couldn't get more crazy, you end up being a squirrel. And um, and that, you know, so there's always so suddenly then I am trying to dance in this huge, great mask and a tail and not tell anybody and keep it, you know, under my hat, literally, and, um, and do what I can. So I think it's the fact that... Um, yeah, probably the reason why I've done this job for so long is because you never really know what's around the corner. And, and a lot of times when you take a job, it's like baking a cake. You can put all the right ingredients and it's still not actually tastes very good. So, you, you know, and vice versa. So, A, I do it because I have to keep the roof over my head and my daughter's head. And B, you hope that something will come from it and some joy and laughter and love and, you know, just keep plowing on. How have you been through the through the pandemic managing? Has it been because obviously your industry is pretty mm -hmm. tough to to deal with? How have you found it personally? At first, so uh, I was doing nine to five the musical, and uh, we went down to do our warm up for the show, and the producers came on the stage and said, "We're not doing the show," and that was the end of it. We never did it. Never did it again. 
Uh, and so that was very strange because for theatre people as well, even though it's lovely to go, oh, we've got a night off. The show must go it on. Never is. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it never feels right, never feels right. So that was very odd. And then at first I was quite frightened because, you know, we didn't know about it. And people I did know were very sick and some people also lie. I mean, it was just awful. Then there was that moment where, because the world paused, it was almost, um, it was almost lovely to sort of go, wow, I have, I have to stop and be calm and appreciate things and, clear out my cupboards and all that stuff and it was almost lovely to reconnect with 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 real world and stop racing around in a like a hamster in a wheel uh but for for my industry it's been really difficult very 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 difficult because uh particularly as I was doing theatre at the time and had been doing a lot of theatre for a while and to see that uh, I went up to London one day uh in the during the lockdown, I think it was, and it was really eerie. I mean, it was like being in a in a Doctor Who episode where you know where's everybody gone? Um, there are these beautiful buildings and beautiful streets with nothing, just nobody, and that was. It, and it started to get dark, and I thought I need to go home. I'm scared of this. It was it was really quite frightening. As far as uh, people are concerned, it has been devastating. It will take a long time for us to catch up. Theatres are beginning to open again, but with the Omicron lately as well, it's been oh horrendous um, because, you know, you just can't keep a show running and you can't keep people coming. You know, it's it, you've got to have a, a, a scenario where everyone feels safe, where audiences want to come back. You know, we have no tourists particularly here. So it's, it is, it's getting back to some kind of normality, but we're not not there yet. Um, there was no support for most of my industry. Um, so a lot of people had to do other jobs. You know, I mean, theatre people are not people who rest on their laurels ever. Um, you know, we're all quite sort of hustlers in that we don't depend on anyone else. We're all freelance, pretty much. You don't get help. And nobody got any help. Now, you can do that for a bit, but you can't sustain it. And, and it's very difficult to explain because, as I said before, people think that just because you're on the telly or you might even be on the telly doing an interview, you're not being paid for it. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't say to your mortgage company, oh, well, I know I was on the telly, but I haven't got any money for it because they go, what? Well, too bad. You have to pay. Um, and, and, and then again, you also you lose your confidence, you lose your courage and you start to think I'm completely irrelevant. And there is no place for me to go. So, you know, I think there are a lot of repercussions and there will be for a long, long time. Um, because on top of that, you have to stay connected with the real world because you're playing those people. And as an actor, you're not supposed to be a whingy actor. You're supposed to be always putting on a show and being wonderful. And um, that, I think, has had a great impact on our profession. Now, I think, because... Uh, TV companies were having to play so many series that they had in the in the bag or um, that they, uh, you know, the, the COVID rules were so tight at one point, it seemed it was just financially and uh, physically impossible to make TV shows. Now they're going bonkers. Everything is like, oh, my God, make this tomorrow, make this tomorrow. You know, the, 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 the 
the prep to to airing is so short that a lot of material is just being plowed out there um but then there are a lot of actors that need work so it's tricky my daughter is um she sort of graduated in the middle of the pandemic it's it's so difficult she's just getting auditions now she's going she wants to go into theater and television but you know there's so many young graduates who didn't get that opportunity their launch pad to get work it's just not there but it's starting to come back slowly but i think for for you know for so many the pandemic was absolutely devastating and we have to get this into perspective but um for something that is considered you know when, when we were when during the pandemic i mean i lost it at one point because they were like oh well you know you have to retrain and you know your job's not viable and we know you want to go back for your ego it's your passion no it was your passion to go into theatre you go no it's my job yeah. <laughs> it's not my passion it pays my bills and it pays you my tax and um, which you gladly take from me, uh, and and bring you know, millions of tourists every year, and oh, the, 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 you know, you go no, it this is a this is a huge, um, uh, it, it 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 it's a financial institution. You know, you don't have to like theatre. As we were saying earlier, you don't have to like theatre or television or whatever, but you know, not only for the the, the mental health of of people, they're suddenly realizing that culture is unbelievably important um but it's not some frivolous little thing we do as a hobby it's it's a job and it, it employs so many extra talents um to put one person on a stage it takes an absolute army of people and those people were not being um helped in any way so we lost a lot of very um special people who decided that they couldn't sustain um you know they couldn't pay for their kids to eat stuff like that so it's I you know I really it, it will take a while to get back to the you know some sort of new normal but we'll, you got to just keep going on keep saying that don't I <laughs> well I can assure you as a couple of uh, middle aged but young at heart Doctor Who fans Bonnie we are very very grateful that of what you've done over the years you're not irrelevant to us <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not so uh, thank you very much for uh, for taking some time Bless to have a you. chat with us. It's been so lovely to talk to you and maybe one day I'll get over there and see you all in person. That would be great. There was panic in the parlour and howling in the hall. Doctor Who! Oh! From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Mind of the Hodiac. The other is out there, actively aware. She knows that I am searching and is afraid. She's out there. Somewhere in the wide worlds. Not again! Not again! Put it all down! Whatever you are! Why? Why do you keep doing this to us? This institute is dedicated to research in the field of psychic science. The power granted to the human mind. Taking us one step closer to the angels. Your mind. His mind. His mind in your mind. Two minds. One mind. Something's setting coordinates. Doctor, 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 What's happening, boy? Are you doing this? Oh. Oh. It's gone. 
Whatever it was, it, it's gone. But couldn't you feel it? The strength of it? A mind, a magnificent mind. <sighs> is that it? <sighs> it's over. No. It is far from over. The battle lines have been drawn. We march upon the earth. Big finish for the love of stories. Okay, so that was a trailer for Mind of the Hodiac, obviously. Uh, look, very much looking forward to that one. Some Russell T. Davies action. What about you, Philip? You looking forward to that one? Yeah, I really am. I, it was a lot to talk to Bonnie about it. And she really, she got the, what Russell T's about. Isn't he? He's about emotion, family settings, um, everyday things that people can relate to. And so the fact that the story actually, you know, we don't know much about it, but the fact that that's, she's picked up on all that, and as Russell traits, I think it's going to be marvellous. And what a lovely, lovely lady Bonnie is. It was, um, yeah, it was such a privilege to, to chat with her, and um, I'm so glad we were able to do that. Yeah, it was, yeah, she's lovely. We're like, just happy to chat, and, yeah, we could have gone on for a lot longer. I controlled myself, everyone. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure you're, you have no idea how much I had to control oh, myself. You're just chomping at the bit. I could tell. <laughs> so the, the musical theatre is seething out of you, Philip. Yes, seething well, out of you. When, when she's out here in Australia, we get to spend some proper time with her. Um, <laughs> and she's she's going to have a very unpopular meal with me where I'm going to talk all about all the stuff she's done. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, instead of our usual recommendations, what I thought we'd do this time is because we didn't mention too many specific Mel stories from Big Finish throughout the episode, I want to ask you, give us a couple of um, a couple of your favourites of, of Mel throughout the years, Sixth or Seventh Doctor. Uh, what, what have, what's been some standouts for you in the Big yeah. Finish range in, in the last, over the last 22 years? Yes. Well, I mean, I love what Big Finish have done and they brought it back. The Fires of Vulcan, I mean, I guess it's part of it's nostalgia, but there's a real warm heart I've got to a lot of the early stuff that the Big Finish did. And when they first brought Mel back in the Fires of Vulcan, Mel was suddenly a huge adult character. And it was just fun to watch her work with Sylvester McCoy. And I thought that's just a, a great story. But just the first few she did were wonderful. Um, the One Doctor is one of the funniest stories you can have, yeah. where you've got Colin Baker finding out there's another doctor roaming around and he's trying to work out who it is. But Mel plays beautifully off that, and they swap companions at one stage, and she's the companion to the other Doctor. Um, just the humour she has in that, bang, bang, a boom. She's excellent in comedy, isn't she? Oh, she is so She's funny. perfect. <laughs> the time so is really funny. Um, so bang, bang, a boom is another one, which is just so funny that, you know, it's you know, all based around Eurovision, except it's a space vision. You know, it's, it's, you know, and I, you know I love Eurovision as well. Um, all tongue in cheek. It needs songs. I mean, it's so sad she doesn't sing, because that would have been made the piece of... Yeah, they're asking on the cake. Um, and then she did the amazing flip-flop, which is two discs that you can listen to oh, in any order. That was a snap. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so I'm just her first four works were just extraordinary. But then she comes back to other things. So she does a great story with Davros, with the, the Juggernauts. Um, and all of those, by the way, can I say all these ones at the moment you can get for £2.99. Uh, for those of you who are in Great Britain or two ninety nine in Australia or America. Um, for those of you in Germany and Norway and other places around the world, because we've got lots of people listening in all sorts of different countries, um, go to the Big Finish website. But at the moment, all of those are very cheap and are just worth having. And yeah, or, and or absolutely free if you go to Spotify. The first fifty are, are definitely up there. So really, okay. you'll be able to hear all of those except the Juggernauts. You won't hear that because that's post fifty. 
Okay, so guys, just yeah, get hold of stuff. Um, look, I could talk some more. What about you? What, what do you want to pull out, Dwayne? What, what are some of your st- ones? Well, I I love everything that she's done. I, I too love what they've done with the character of Mel. Like, I'll, I'll mention Flip Flop first because that was probably the first really experimental big finish story that really stood out to me. I love the way they did it. I love the packaging. It was different. I've still mm-hmm. got the. I've still got that original package up there. Me too. That uh, you could listen to in any order. I thought it was very timey-wimey when I was still young enough to understand timey-wimey stuff. So um, Before we had the word timey-wimey in our language. That's right. That's another word that's evolved, Philip. Now we know what timey-wimey means. But if you go on down the line, there was when they, when they attempted to reboot the main range at release 201, I think there was a story called we are the Daleks. Is that right? You're going to yes, look it up for we, me. We are the Daleks. Now, I, re- I remember that one standing out to me as well. So that was a Seventh Doctor and Mel. Uh, I I was getting a little bit confused by... It was getting quite bogged down the main range towards the end there. Very, very heavy story arc with the meddling monk and doctors going with different companions and all, all that kind of stuff. I was a bit overloaded. So when they restarted with... We are the Daleks. That was, and I'm not a Daleks fan either. So to have a story that I love with the Daleks in it, something unusual. Uh, but it was the combination of the Seventh Doctor and, and Mel, obviously. I also really liked the combination of Ace and Mel. So there was a stage where the Seventh Doctor and Ace went back and started traveling with Mel again in Mel's future after she left the TARDIS. Yeah. So she traveled with them for, for oh, was it? Six or nine stories altogether? Uh, nine, by the looks of it. Nine. So one of them that really stood out to me, I can't remember the story specifics, but I, I thought it was a funny name, and, and funny names of stories really stand out to me. And when the story has a big impact on me as well, I'm very happy about that too. So there's a story in that lot called The High Price of Parking, which really stood out to me. And uh is that in the trilogy with another story called Maker of Demons? That was a really good... And Fiesta of the Damned, is that... Or is that a different trilogy? Uh, no, Maker of the Demons and... Yeah, Fiesta of the Damned is the first Fie- one. Fiesta yep. of the Damned. So that trilogy was really, really good, but the high price of parking really stood out for me in there. So, yeah, throughout throughout the years... And now we've got... I've just heard today, Peladon uh, has just been released. So Mel and the Sixth Doctor appear in the third episode in that box set. Absolutely adore... The setting of Peladon. It's one of my very, very favourites. Uh, and she's also coming up very shortly in uh, Mind of the Hodiac, A Lost Story, uh, and the Six Doctor box sets. We didn't mention either that the Six Doctor and Mel have a new companion joining them too in the Six Doctor series coming out. So there is another companion, brand new for Big Finish. So I'm curious to see what they do with that too. Mm. The um, we've, we've previously done a, a story on must have been one of our randomoids on the wrong doctors. Yes. Which, oh, which yes, course, yes. Which is, of course, another great one, which actually shows us how she joined the, doctor, the sixth doctor and left the sixth doctor at the same time. Yeah. So you can go back and listen to that one because we wax lyric about that one in great detail. Yeah. As I said, I think actually hard pressed to find a bad one that she's done. And as I flick through, there's nothing that stands out for me in terms of that's, that's not worth listening to. Um, some, some, yeah, there's there are a few among Big Finish that I'd say to people, I no, wouldn't listen to that, and you know, definitely don't listen to that one. But there's nothing that um, Bonnie's done 
in terms of that, that like that. And I, I guess part of it's on the whole Colin, because I most of what she does with anything with Colin, I generally love. I think that's they're great. Um, but she just does, she bounces really well off Sylvester and she just works so well with him. So yeah, looking, well looking, both. looking forward. Well both. So, I can't believe know. it's been four years since we've had uh, any mail stories though. Really? You know, Boy, yeah, that time's flown. <laughs> I know. It's been four years since the last mail story. Well, we've got lots of mail this year to look forward to. So that's lots fantastic. Lots and lots of mail and more to come. But you and I, Philip, we're just a pair of old boomers. So what do we know about <laughs> anything, eh? I'm Gen X. I'm not a boomer. <laughs> Hey, what do I know? What would you know? All right. That'll do us for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Give us a rating. Give us a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We don't mind. Uh, Make sure it's five. That's a big one. Yeah, Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star. Drop us a comment. Tell us what you think in our YouTube videos if you're watching us there. Uh, We always love to get some some feedback from, from you there too. And I'll always uh, do my very best to to write back to you too. So uh, thank you very much for listening and watching. And we will catch you next time. Toodles. See you guys. Bye. This has been the Sirens of Audio episode 93. Putting on the glitz with our very special guest, Bonnie Langford. And your host, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by the Jackpot Golden Boys. Thanks for dropping some feedback to us if you're listening. And a like if you're watching. We really appreciate it. Our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram handles are at Audio Sirens. And our website is sirensofaudio.com. And if you're wondering why your player isn't working for 6th or 7th Doctor Audio Adventures, don't bother calling tech support. Just plug in your Megamite modem and listen away. Because audio drama...